Welcome to the Tech Hustler podcast. This podcast is for you if you want to hear the unfiltered stories from inspiring tech entrepreneurs. I started this podcast and the community to create what I was missing in the tech industry today. My mission is to make space for women in tech by creating a platform where they can connect, get inspired and gain new knowledge that will help them to accomplish whatever they are dreaming of. It doesn't matter if you're a tech founder, an employee, or dreaming of launching a startup. This podcast is for you. My name is Ivana von Proschwitz, and I'll be your host. It's time to start hustling smarter, not harder. Today's guest is Malin Fritjofsson. She is a femtech supporter, startup enthusiast, angel investor, and creator of human life. Malin is the CEO of Daya, a company on a mission to accelerate global femtech innovation. She's also an early, early stage investor who prides herself of joining most of her startups from the very beginning of their journey. She loves reading ridiculously dirty fantasy romance novels, embarrassing her husband and drinking wine in all shapes and sizes. Warm welcome to the podcast, Molly. Thank you. And I think like adding the fantasy romance is another way of embarrassing my husband. So I mean, I could do two <laughs> of my favorite on. things today, podcasting and embarrassing him. <laughs> oh, that, that's, that, that's a great, uh, great hobby. <laughs> How to embarrass your husband. Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> Keep the things best. interesting. But then you are keeping being yourself. And if he still loves you, then he's a he's a keeper. Yeah, he knew what he was getting into. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but warm welcome to Stockholm because Thank you live you. in Göteborg. Yeah, I, I am. I'm a proud like uh, Gothenburg romantic. I think it's the best city in the world. Uh, Stockholm is okay too, and it's nice to come here, uh, especially and like shout out to this place that you have where you're doing the podcast. I mean, I know the listeners can't see where we're at, but this is like a really the vibes here are immaculate. Like this is a nice place. Yeah, it's a really cute co-working place called uh, Underverket, and yeah. they have this really cozy uh, podcast studio. Now, I don't work there, so I'm not plugging them for like <laughs> promotional reasons. I just feel like they, they deserve a plug because it's so nice here. Yeah, thank you. But yes, so today we are going to talk about something that you are very passionate about and me as well. And we are going to talk about femtech. Yes, very exciting. Uh, but uh, let's start from the beginning. How did you get into tech and how did you get into femtech? That's a funny story, actually, because I feel like I have a quite unconventional route into both tech and femtech and the startup space. Um, I'm a gender studies major. I actually had a double major in global development studies and gender. And uh, I, I just casually, the gender studies institution at Gothenburg University was situated right below startup um, uh, Chalmers Ventures, which is an accelerator in VC. So that was kind of my my in to that world. I started working there um, part time as I was finishing my studies. And I think it actually helped me because I was quite naive. I didn't understand the startup world. So I didn't understand how hard it was to get a job at a VC, which I think actually helped me because I don't think I would normally have gone for that if it wasn't presented before me. Um, I think I would have, um, you know, as a lot of women do, we 
self-reject and, and, and tell ourselves that we can't do things that we actually could do. So I started working there and I, and I started working with commercializing research and I just fell in love with it because, I mean, I had my idea of what an entrepreneur was and it was someone who owned companies and wanted to make a lot of money and it was kind of a bad word um, in my frame of mind. And when I was then offered a full-time job working with venture capital in tech, I was like, this is not going to be a culture fit. Like, I'm a socialist feminist. Like, this is not this is not where I'm supposed to be. But I really loved and, and like kudos really to, to Chalmers Ventures because they really introduced me to a new um, frame of mind when it comes to entrepreneurship. We would always speak about it as... Entrepreneurs are people who are solving problems and creating values for other people. And I was like, hey, that's a definition that I can really get behind. And all the startups that we were working with were all like on a mission to change the world, like in some aspect, like not the world as a whole, but they were all pushing the boundaries a little bit in the right direction in different areas. And they're all so passionate about what they do. Like you will never meet someone with a passion for a very limited part of the world as an entrepreneur. Um so I fell in love with that, but then I was constantly frustrated with the lack of female founders as something we hear again and again and again, like, where are all the female founders? And for me, I wasn't particularly saying the same thing because I was like, I understand why there are no female founders here because we've created and designed an amazing system to support technical founders in commercializing. We have, I mean, in... Sweden, but also in the Nordics, we have great systems to help you with the business development of your startup if you are a technical founder. But in the design of those programs, which are kind of one-size-fits-all programs, we've designed out women because we're looking at two minority groups where women are both minorities in, in where women are still minorities in tech, in tech fields. And women are also minorities in the people who have the opportunity to start a company. And we put those two together and then we sit and say, why do we not get any applicants from female founders? So there I started getting into um, promoting women in technology. So I got involved with the women in tech uh, Gothenburg community and I served on the board there for, Jesus, I think like six years, but that makes me sound like I'm so old. Uh, but a few years, let's say that. Experience. Experience. Not old. I actually love getting old. I mean, it's so much nicer than being young <laughs> in that sense. But um, so I served there and I took over as chair for a while and was really championing uh, women entering tech and staying in tech. And I mean, I ended up uh, leaving Thomas Ventures and going to Startup Norway and working there for a while, but I was still continuously part of the, the women in tech community. And then another thing happened where I was like, okay, but we have women within technology, but can we also use technology to support all women? Um, and is there a way kind of, I, I saw that there are no technical innovations coming for women's issues well, very few compared to other areas and we can get into that later but and you know entrepreneurs they start companies based on a problem that they they know by heart yeah and experience themselves yeah and we've made it really hard for women to start tech companies so I wasn't surprised in that sense that there were no tech innovation coming or nor tech startups focusing on women's issues which is then becoming a real real problem because 
I mean, you could say one thing that uh, for for equality's sake, women and men should have the same opportunities to start companies. That that's just basic, but it's not just a numbers game. It also has consequences because when when certain groups are not being part of the innovation system, then certain areas and certain problems are not being innovated. So that becomes a problem way beyond kind of the startup sphere and a, uh, way beyond kind of every individual's right to equal opportunity. Then it becomes a structural problem. So. It was basically in that intersection where we wanted to explore, okay, how can we use the women in tech community uh, to support women who want to innovate problems that they know by heart, problems that they have experienced themselves. Um, and in the same way, kind of bridging the design gap that, that most accelerators have, in my opinion, when it comes to working with female founders. So... We started, I mean, the, the, our accelerator. So this is kind of how I got into Femtech. It was basically just a progression of frustration of different areas. It started with like a frustration of lack of female entrepreneurs, lack of female in tech, and then lack of innovation within women's health. And then, yeah, we started our program, which um, brings together senior tech women Uh, in tech advisory board supporting primarily non-technical founders but you can also be a technical founder but not know your entire technical journey because i mean you're one person you can't be an expert in all tech fields if you're not uh, if you're never sleeping and and uh, are superhuman um and we realized uh, like kind of our hypothesis was that if we can create a program that focuses on lowering the tech uh, threshold for women because we know there's a lot of great female entrepreneurs who really understand these problems, and then we can be their support on the tech side, um, that they w- would see a lot more female-founded companies and also a lot more companies focused on women's issues. And yeah, that's we definitely saw that happening, and that's my road into Femtech. It was basically following my frustrations and trying to fix them, which is... I mean, uh, and, and a thing that lives in entrepreneur souls, I guess. Like we're never content with looking at the world the way it is now. We're constantly looking at it the way it should be. Yeah, and that's the best path forward, right? To follow that frustration and be the change that you want to see. Like first your frustration, why is nobody else doing anything about it? And then you realize, okay, but I'm that. No, I am that somebody that has to do something to change this uh, status. Yeah, I would like to go back. You mentioned a couple of times that you didn't see um, women in tech or like in your flows, like in your in that incubator and that the support system had some flaws in your opinion. Can you t- tell me more about that? Because that's, I mean, we so often talk about like there are few women. How do we get more women into tech? But then... I mean, it's not an easy question. It's it's not a uh, one fix and it's fixed. I mean, it's, it's it's a multidimensional issue, I think. So I would love to hear what 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 your thoughts around that is. Yeah, I would actually say that it can be a quick fix. I mean, not a perfect fix, but there are some things that we just could do to very easily make it easier for women to start tech companies. Um, because we're actually in the kind of, we're in an era now where we have the luxury of there actually has been a lot of knowledge creation within equality and entrepreneurship. Like there's been substantial research 
both on like general things with with female entrepreneurship, but also on how to build a accelerator program that supports female founders and that attracts female founders. We have research on that. There was a study being done on 300 incubators and accelerators. So we do have kind of some quick fixes. We're just not really doing them, uh, which for me is frustrating in a sense because we are, I mean, the startup world, we're very data-driven. We always talk about how our startups should follow the data and then we don't do it ourselves because there's actually a lot of data out there on how to work to attract female founders or how to work to to not deter female founders maybe is the right um, term of phrase, but we're not doing it uh, right now. And I would say it's, it's twofold. So I would say that we have I wouldn't say that the the incubator and accelerator system we have now is bad because I think we have a great accelerator incubator system for one type of founder or for like a limited scope of founders. What type of founder is that? Um, we have a great for someone who has a technical founder who, who understands the, the technical solution of their problem and wants help with commercializing that. We have amazing kind of there's there's I've worked with some amazing business coaches and some amazing accelerator that's working with well kind of the whole commercialization process of of finding product market fit I think I mean you could just like if you google accelerate I mean we're in Stockholm now I could probably throw a stone you'd find an accelerator now, they're really high-end accelerators like they're good at what they do but we're just lacking uh, a lot of other ways of working with startups. So I don't think we should change what we have now because what we have now is good. We just need to uh, complement it with with other programs. I mean, we need to look at a program where you have an entrepreneur who's a great entrepreneur, but you don't understand the tech. I mean, you, you may understand it at some point, but you, you, you're you not a technical founder. You can't build it yourself. You can't build it yourself. And also it's not just about building it yourself when we work with founders it's uh, I mean you can easily go to to there's a lot of agencies you can go and like hey build my app and then you get exactly what you've asked for and it's usually great but it's not what you need because it's really hard as a non-technical founder to know what you need and you know kind of what what technical infrastructure do I need to have in place in order to scale the way I want to in not, not just this year but the next year and the next year and what kind of compliance needs and like how do I how do I set myself up if I want in the future to have some some um, uh, a business model where I use the data I gather for instance like how do I set that up from the start it's that's Questions are really hard for uh, non-technical founders. So what we see, I've definitely seen so many startups that have gone and then done, used like three different agencies to build their product because it never really gets right. And then the next agency just points out all the things the first agency did wrong. And it's not really things that they did wrong. It's just that you didn't know to ask for it because you're not a technical founder. And, And I mean, a lot of incubators now talk about like helping their companies become consultant ready that's a big thing but we're not kind of helping them sit down and kind of look okay what is it that you need for this year the next year and the the year after that Um, so I think more programs that are looking okay basically starting in the same way we do with startup we say start with the customer uh we should do the same thing with the with the um, with our customers if if we're a vc or if we're a accelerator and see that okay if we want more customers that are 
they're women. Okay, how do we design a product that women want, female founders want? Now we just design a product and then we're like, oh, what? no women come here. Like we would never accept that from our startups. We would never accept that they just say, oh, but our product is great, but the, the customers just don't buy it. We would say, okay, but find out why the customers don't want to buy it or like why this customer segment is not buying it. Like you need to, then you need to change something to get them to buy it. Um, so I think like we just need to kind of work the same way that we tell the startups to work in terms of of being uh, startup supporters. Um, the ecosystem, the startup ecosystem need to... Yeah, and I mean, if, if take you, the same approach, if you are one of those accelerators that say we really want to work with female founders, and we have no female founders coming our way, then look at okay, if there's that the the end kind of result shouldn't be okay. There are no female founders because we know that there are. The kind of your result should be okay. They're not liking our product. Like, how can we change our product to attract the customer that we want? Um, so I think doing that and also maybe complementary programs and look at the the data. I mean, the one of the kind of key points that this study I mentioned of 300 incubators and accelerators, the first point was do not do one size fits all programs. And they do a list of kind of explaining why that is and what that actually means for you and your incubator. But in the in the broadest of scopes, that just means that one size usually fits all men that that is the the point that they're making and that you need to be quite flexible in your programs uh, which i mean to be honest i think that should be standard because we're working with innovation so it's how do you have a set template how to work with innovation because you're literally working with things that's never been done before there should be some kind of flexibility built into that from the start but yeah, I mean, I could talk about this yeah, for hours, okay. obviously. But if, but if, uh, I want to read more about this. So where do I find this report? Um, How can I find it? Oh, that's actually a very good question. But I think if you can just probably Google, use Google Scholar uh, is a great thing. Like if you use Google Scholar, you can just Google different uh, themes. You could Google like... Um, how to attract uh, female founders to accelerators on Google Scholar, then you will only get up the results that are from research. Um, so so I think that's, I use Google Scholar a lot. It's nice. Okay. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good, good tip. Okay. But um, let's get back to your journey then. Yeah. So, <laughs> so now we now understand why you got into tech, why you got into entrepreneurship and then uh, femtech. So um, what is femtech? Yeah, so femtech is any technology that improves women's health and well-being. Um, so traditionally speaking, that's usually innovations within menopause, like PMS, pregnancy, like the, the physical aspects of being a woman. Um, we've actually at Daya, we've launched another vertical, which we call contextual femtech. So that's anything that's a threat to women's health and well-being, but it's not connected to the physical body. So it could be domestic violence, for instance. That's a good example because if looking at domestic violence, why would that be femtech in a world where the context isn't that it's primarily men um, being violent towards women? Um, or we have a startup in our accelerator that has created a, a scheduling algorithm for elderly care. And looking at just that solution, be like, why would that be femtech? But if you look at the context of the people working under these conditions, it's over 90% women. So 
we we include everything that is going to unproportionately support women's health and well-being, both on kind of a contextual level and on a physiological level. And that's femtech. Um, wow, that's I never heard of that ex- expression before. No, we actually launched it ourselves. So yeah, it's, uh, it, but it makes so much sense. I mean, it impacts women. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, there's a lot in in the context of the world today. There's a lot more threats to women's health than just kind of what's going on inside of our bodies. Um, and it just felt like if we're truly working with women's health and women's well-being, we can't be blind to these threats to it. And like we need to, there, there's, and also I felt like femtech, uh, people say that it's a niche or it's a vertical. And it's like, it's like the the health and well-being of half of the world's population can't be one vertical. It's an entire industry and it deserves its own verticals within it. So it's also part of kind of pushing the the importance of understanding that femtech is is not like niche. It's it's a big thing and it it's big enough to have its own verticals. And this is just the first one that, that we've identified as a clear kind of scope that's like there is a lot of innovation that needs to be done where technology could be leveraged to make women's lives safer and healthier and better um, in the context of women's position in the world today. Yeah. And I mean, you're so right. I mean, why is it still seen as a super niche thing? It affects 50% of the population. It shouldn't be a niche thing. It should be health Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's the biggest niche in the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and it's uh, a, a startup that I was talking to actually said that she, she was fundraising now. And in the discussion she had with investors, she was like, I'm so tired of having to evangelize that women exist. Yeah. Because these investors would always be like, this is such a, it's too, it's too niche. It's too small. And she's like, it's half the world's population. You know, like women exist. Women have purchasing power. And she's like, I can't understand that I first have to explain to these grown human beings that women exist and have needs and are willing to pay to have their needs met and deserve to have their needs met. Like she has to start from that very basic level before she can even get into her solution. And I mean, I think that really pinpoints the the, the problem today, looking at uh, how investors look at femtech. Yeah, really. Tell me more about that. Like, what do you see in, in, in your work I I mean I can I can say that I can uh, explain it in two ways. One is kind of the more diplomatic one. Uh, why I mean the the baseline is that it's it's hard for female founders to to raise and it's hard for femtech startups to to raise capital. Or it has been. I mean it's getting better. I would say not for female founders. That's kind of consistently kind of stays the same. But for femtech startups, it is getting better. But I mean on a diplomatic note, I would say that I mean investors. I mean, I myself do angel investing and have worked at VCs. So I can speak from that authority that investors do look a lot at uh, pattern recognition. Um, And if I'm being diplomatic, then the femtech space is so new that it's hard to recognize patterns yet. So it might be hard for investors to get really into that space because you don't have enough data to go on. I mean, we know that investors tend to be more and more metrics driven, even like like a few years ago, that would be waiting like in the later rounds. But now investors are very metrics driven very early on and are not just looking at this startup's metric, but looking, can I recognize pattern from previous startups that have been successful? And it's hard to see that in a in a space that's very new. 
So that's yeah. kind of that's, that's so counterintuitive because I mean innovation is doing something that hasn't been done before. So why do then investors go on a pattern from the past and and they rather invest in another uh, sc- scooter, digital scooter or, or digital doctor or, or whatever than something that is actually needed and new. I mean, I could rant about that as well. I mean, please do. <laughs> like the, the history of venture capital is like venture capital used to be kind of it was created to um, fund kind of these moonshot things, you know, these uh, overseas sales and like these these very very um, crazy ideas. I mean, that's not really venture capital now. Now, venture capital now is all about mitigating risk. You're looking at investors, so they're looking at these patterns. And and like you say, it's kind of lost the soul of what it was created for, because now it's not about, I mean, the craziest idea is not going to have a pattern to to look at no. and it's it probably going to be very risky. Yeah, exactly. And that's 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 what venture capital was created for and and I think that it it needs to kind of come back to its roots a little bit. Um but there's a there's a lot of other forces driving the change there <laughs> when it, when it comes to um how how that industry is is evolving but yeah, I do think that in my dream world, in my utopia, of course, the ones investing in innovation should be very prone to risk and they should be very understanding that it should excite them when something doesn't have a pattern because uh, it's completely new. But that's not the case because you are, I mean, I understand it. You're, you're, you're managing someone else's money. So you need to, um, you need to manage risk and make sure that you're going to have the best possible outcome. But I mean, when we talk about it that way, that doesn't make your eyes glow. It doesn't no. make my eyes glow. Uh, so, <laughs> it so. makes me jog. Ah. Yeah. So, but but I do think that's going back to why it's hard to raise for femtech. I think that's part of it. If I'm being diplomatic, uh, the part of me that's in not diplomatic is the ones that kind of hold the most of the the capital, like the financial capital. Um, are not the target audience for femtech solutions and products. I also, I mean, I we know that most founders within Femtech are women and it's harder for women to raise funding for a myriad of reasons. Um, and those two together just makes it really hard to to raise funding for, for Femtech startups. And I think a kind of a shift needs to happen in a lot of places. We need to have more capital in the hands of women. But I mean... It is kind of a negative feedback loop. I mean, most of the angels that are investing, they are they have been entrepreneurs themselves. They made a successful journey. They made an exit. Now they have money to spend. And if we continuously fund male entrepreneurs, they can have this journey. They can make exits. They can become angels. And then they fund other men. Um, I'm not saying that all male angels do that, but we do have a confirmation bias. We do have a bias towards things that we we recognize. And, and but how, how do we break this loop? Because I, I I mean investors are they are there to invest in a good business idea, right? Yep. Uh, of course, it helps if they understand the problem or the markets. Um, so how do we? And, and I definitely understand like it's easier to pitch to women because maybe they they recognize the problem, have problems, and they recognize the problems around period or uh, giving birth or whatever. But I mean, even the women that have made the exit and have some money to invest, they have less money than the men <laughs> that have been in the capital world for for a long time. So even if we have 
those investors that are more willing to invest in fintech, it's still a smaller portion of the capital. So how do we how do we find male allies? Because I think really we need to do that uh, and get them on, on the train. Yeah, I completely disagree. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I actually kind of do. I, I but that that's the un- undiplomatic part of me. Is Tell that me. I don't think we need male allies. I think. I think, okay, now how I'm going to say this without sounding like a complete asshole. I think that the the problem with, I mean, there, I understand people saying like, we need to bring men into the conversation and we need, I mean, we need their, for, for change to happen, they also need to be on board with it. But I do think there are two fundamental flaws with that. And one is that, I mean, not everyone wants equality. Um, I mean, inequality isn't something, it's not a nature law. It's not like in the grass that grows. It's, it's something that is continuously being upheld by people. Um, so if we wanted equality, we could have it tomorrow. But we don't because not all people want equality. They might say that they do, but they don't. And kind of asking the group, I mean, there are a big group of of people that actually benefit from inequality from it staying the way it is now and now I'm just speaking about gender but there's a lot of other factions to it obviously but if you're just taking like a the the making a very short kind of explanation of things yeah for every female founder that has a better case but doesn't get funded there is a male founder that gets that funding instead Um, so there are actually and I think asking the group that actually benefits from society being the way it is to help change it. I think it's a tall ask because I think there are some people who are genuinely, I think most people genuinely want well. I don't think there's anyone who's sitting actively thinking like, oh, I want things to stay the same. But it's a, it's a, you're still upholding these systems. It's, it's an active choice or I mean a subconscious choice maybe, but it is still a thing that's happening. It's not something that's happening to us by the world. Like it is people upholding these, upholding these systems. And the other aspect of it, why I, why I would say we don't need male allies, which sounds like very clickbaity, like obviously I'm not opposed to um, men helping out with the cause. Uh, but I think that also goes to like we we deserve an equal right. We deserve equal opportunity. We deserve equal kind of recognition for the same work, for the same talent. It's not someone else's to give to us. And and this kind of goes back to kind of the journey that the LGBTQ uh, community has has done. And it's like in the beginning we were like, well, we're gonna allow you to be who you are. We're gonna tolerate it. We're gonna allow you. And it's like, who's giving who the right to be equal? It's like men giving women the right to vote. And it's like, I just when 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 these kind of discussions come up, I kind of wanna just like something in me just wants to scream in a sense that's like, this is not, I, I don't care if men want equality. I don't care if they're allies. I don't care if they're on board for the cause because it's not up to them. I mean, my my equal, my right to live as a equal human on this earth is not up to them. Doesn't care if they want it or not. Um, and of course, it's got to get easier if they help us get there. But also they do kind of benefit from the situation as it is today. So I think those are the two reasons why I'm like, yeah, I'm. I'm not. A, of course, never be opposed to male allies. I mean, I'm married to an amazing man, and I have like you know, I I have no disdain for for men in general. I just think it's uh it's important how we speak about things, and for me, it's very important that this is not theirs to give. 
it's not it's not theirs to provide or support us in like it's it's gonna happen at some point without them wanting it or not um but then going back to the point of like how do we do it then i mean i think there's a lot of different ways of of doing it for me it's been primarily like how um what impact can my time and my money and um, my my skills, my experience have on on the earth, basically? And I think as for me, it's creating my own feedback loop. So I mean, I I uh, the majority, uh, the vast majority of founders that I work with or invest in are female, um, because. I don't really, I don't have an interest of making men rich anymore in my life. Uh, my interest in making women rich. Uh, and I think, well, we can have our own feedback loops where we support each other and kind of, uh, and then when we get to a space where there actually is a little bit more of a equal playing field, then of course it shouldn't be any feedback loops. It shouldn't be, we should definitely work with our own inherent bias and not we can never be unbiased, but we should all know and have strategies in place not to let our biases impact us in our decision making. And but yeah, I, I I hope that kind of answered your point. I mean, a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm super torn myself in this question because, I mean, I agree with you. Like, it's not the men giving us or allowing us and um, we live in a patriarchal society uh, and and there are definitely the ones a lot of men that benefit from from this status or like the hierarchy being as it is but at the same time i mean i i have 30% percent of of my listeners are men and i only interview women hi men Hi men. <laughs> and and I and I think like I think there are men that want to support and want um more equal or mixed world but they don't know how to because they don't have role models to to turn to like how how do you do it in a good way? And I mean men are sitting on on a lot of capital and and power so if we can have allies that are willing that like like are glad to share uh, and and an open doors then i would gladly welcome them yeah i mean we but, should never turn anyone down no exactly like the the different is we don't need them i mean i would say that it's like i'm happy you're supporting and i'm happy that you're an ally but I, it's not a prerequisite for this uh, movement moving forward. Like this, no. this train is going there with or without you. And if you're on board it, it's going to be a lot more fun for everyone. And it's going to be faster progress. And yeah. I, I would never turn any support down for a good cause. And I would, I mean, I definitely feel like it is helpful, but I also want to frame it as it's happening either or. Like it's, yes. it's just an add-on if, if men are on board. It's not a prerequisite. And I think no. they... That, that I agree on. I mean, yeah. this change is happening and, and the force is unstoppable and, and it's going to happen e- either they're on board or not. But I, I like I would welcome the ones that want to be on the train. 
Uh, yeah. and and uh, take their their money and their help. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm fundraising now, so I mean, if there's any men listening, I'd gladly take your money. That's that's completely fine. And it's just an example. I was at at an event um celebrating, not celebrating, but I mean, it was event focused on female entrepreneurship. And then at the end of the event, I mean, we were a bunch of women there, there were some men, and at the end of the event we're like on stage, they were like Oh, we just have to we see that there's some men here. We're so happy that you made it out to support us and applause for all the men. And I was like, what the hell? Like they they just have to walk through the door yeah. to get applause. Yeah, like it's a low low threshold. <laughs> it's a very low threshold. Yeah. It's like all the women that made it here with like having to do the majority of the unpaid labor in the house, making it out on an evening, even that. And like we're applauding the men that just like stepped in. <laughs> that kind of to me was like It was a it was a moment like an outside of my body moment where I was like, this is this is not helpful for for the movement at all. No, no, and you can draw a lot of parallel to parenting as well. Yeah, like, no, don't get me started. <laughs> it's so easy, and so I know that you are a new a mom, dad, so <laughs> so easy to be a good dad, and it's so easy to be a bad mom. Yes, I know. And you, I you just I'm, you just need to show up, and you're great dad. Yeah, and I mean, when I talk about equality, I'm like annoying female, but when men do it, they're like applauded as heroes. So, I mean, there is a double standard. And of course, I mean, now it sounds like I'm super bitter and hate men, which is not the case at all. Um, but but I but I do think, I mean, also, I think, I think one reason why I'm also being a little bit undiplomatic in these things is because change happens in conflict. And yes. I think one reason why we haven't moved as fast with equality is because everyone just keeps saying they want it and then nothing happens. And I was like, if everyone wanted it, we would have it. So, I mean, there's someone there's there's someone hiding around here yeah. who says they want it and don't because it's no one who says, I don't want equality. But if everyone truly wanted it, we would have it. Yeah. And I think we're not getting anywhere because we're in this space where everyone just agrees So I think, I mean... But that's typical Sweden, right? It's typical Sweden, yeah. but I mean, that also means we don't move anywhere because we need to be, we need to get to a space where it's like, no, not everyone wants equality because then we would have it. It's not here. Um, and we need to kind of bring kind of the conflict back into it because I don't think we're, I think it's making us stagnant that we're all just sitting down saying we all want equality. Mm, mm. And yeah, obviously we don't. And we need to be honest about that. Mm. Yeah, and I'm so tired also like throwing around the number only 1% go of the venture capital go to women, blah, blah, blah. We're just talking about it and we're having conference about it and we're having speakers about it, but then nothing happens. Like year after year, you see the same report and this, the numbers are not moving. Yeah, because I mean, the, there is, uh, like to reiterate, there are people who are benefiting from society staying the way it is. And unfortunately, the people who are benefiting from society staying the way it is right now is the people who are sitting also on a lot of the kind of the social and financial capital in the world. So I don't think we can we can't we can't wait for those people with all that power to find it into their goodness of their heart to want to change the system to to in their in not in their own favor. Um, so that's why I think we need other methods of getting there. And what methods is that? I mean, for me, yes, personally, <laughs> my method is definitely supporting women 
everywhere all the time. Um, and, and we do sometimes get the question. I actually got the question not that long ago because our team is 96% female. We do have one man who's amazing. Um, and I got the questions like, that's not very gender diverse. Uh, and I was like, no, uh, because I mean, I'm not too, I mean, I could have a lot of explanations why we're working with women's health. So it does make sense that we're primarily women, but also to say that, I mean, I'm less concerned with the equality within my company walls than in with equality of the world. And if all the women, if we all start doing it the right way in our 50-50 and, and kind of the other companies that are doing it the bad way are still like 90-10 men, we're not moving the needle anywhere. So, I mean, I'm actually, we're moving the needle more in kind of the, the direction of equality by being very heavily leaning on women and... I mean, that's what I do with everything when it comes to my capital, my time. I, mean, I feel like I spend 100% of my time almost. I mean, except for the times when I read, I spend some time reading like dirty fantasy novels. <laughs> Those are not in the service of, of womankind. But all the other time in my life is basically spent in the service of, of womankind. And I think that's uh, more of us need to, it's fine to be that undiplomatic in that, that, okay, my support is going to be to women because I want to push that needle. We need more people to push that needle right now. Um, we need more people who are not that diplomatic, I think. But we also need, I mean, we do need a lot of diplomatic people. We need we need kind of the, 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 the sound discussion of everyone being included. But we also need outliers that are not that because we need a little bit of action into this movement, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and what is your opinion in this? I mean... I think that like if you are not sitting at the table, you create your own table and invite people that you want at your table and create impact and change that way. But um, I mean, other guests that I have been talking about is like, yeah, it's nice to have your own table. And I mean, like having spaces for just women and like having female um, clubs and things, but you also need to be mixed with the other people that are actually sitting at the power, like with men. We also need to get into those rooms and sit at those tables and and make impact that way. So where is your, what do you think about, like, what is your opinion here? Again, like the diplomatic version is, of course, we need that. I mean, that's the fastest way of change of getting into those, those rooms and actually having a voice there. Um, but again, I, I think I think I'm much too impatient for that. I think I mean I see entrepreneurship as political action for the impatient, and I think I'm too impatient for that. So I don't want to be in any room that doesn't want me there. That's not going to treat me equal. That's not going to value my opinions in the same way as they value um, other people's opinions based on gender or based on a bunch of other things. Um, so no, I, I'm 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 much more for like. Fuck those tables. <laughs> you're Sorry, building, you're building your own table. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I mean, it's yeah, we, a lot of, I mean, I wouldn't say it's not a small table because, I mean, again, women are half of the the, the world's population. And and even though we don't sit on the, some, the, the vast majorities of financial and social capital, we are we're we're definitely making strides there are a lot of I, i've never felt i mean obviously i interact with men in my working life as well but i've never felt a lack of like i needed to go out of the female pool to find the right talent or to find the right capital it, it's a big it's a big enough table right now mm. i'd say mm. but you you have um you have been fundraising 
also yeah. now. Tell me about that experience. Um, I, I feel like I've scared away any potential male investor <laughs> listening You're to this doomed, podcast. You're doomed. I'm doomed this now. Episode is out. My, <laughs> my co-founders are going to call me like, what the hell? We need to cut out half of the episode. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's definitely staying here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we've been fundraising. And, and I mean... It's actually been going really well. I, I think I shouldn't say that because it's usually such a struggle to fundraise, and I don't want to give anyone kind of the wrong opinion, like the the wrong ex expectations of fundraising. Because I've helped startups do it for a long time, and it is rough. Uh, it's a lot of no's. Um, for us, we haven't had a no yet, <laughs> but I think we've also been very selective with who we speak to. Um, oh, that's that's now I lied. We've had one no actually, but it's been it's been um, we haven't closed around yet, um, but we have some investors on board, and I'm so excited about those investors because I think we've been very selective in the type of capital we're looking for, and I think even going into the kind of um, we're going into a market now that's going to make it harder to raise potentially, and. I think a lot of startups are just thinking that they should take whatever money's on the table. And I do understand, I think it's a luxury position to not have to be in that. But I think if I could say like one advice or cautionary tale, it would be to, you're not taking in investors, you're taking in co-owners of your company. Like they, they're, their ownership, I mean, they're not going to have as much as you, but their ownership is, they're, they're owning, it's the same shares. Like you're, they're, you're, they're owning it with you. And We've been very selective because obviously, I mean, you've talked to me now. I'm not very diplomatic. I mean, we are a very mission oriented organization and it just happens that our mission is also very, very profitable. But that's secondary. Um, so can you tell me about some of the discussions that you have had? Yeah, uh, it's because going back again to pattern recognitions, we are a very odd Animal. I don't know if you say that in English. <laughs> Uda, you. Odd, like odd, odd bird. Yeah, yeah we're odd yeah. bird. Yeah, mm -hmm. we're, we're definitely an odd bird because we're not a startup. We're actually like four businesses in one. So we've had a lot of discussions with, with people on what we are exactly. You know? and, and like, can, can you give, just uh, before you go into that, yeah. and give the listeners the concept. What, what is Daya? What are, what are you doing? Yeah, okay. So in, now, in a now, short, in, short pitch. In a short pitch. Oh, my God. Um, so Daya is, we work with everything with Femtech Innovation. Um, so we have four business arms. So we have an innovation lab where we create startups from scratch. So we have uh, interdisciplinary teams of medical doctors, engineers, designers, entrepreneurs. And we basically, we come up with ideas, we create them, and we source founders, and we start companies. So we're building our own internal portfolio. Um, and then we have an accelerator where we work with startups that are already existing. So ideas that we haven't come up with, we haven't started the company, someone else ha have, but we want to support them in the way I mentioned on the tech side, primarily. Um, we are looking to raise, we haven't started, always in the fundraising stage, we've been speaking to some LPs, but we are raising a femtech fund because we want to bring in capital to this. But we also have a design and engineering consultancy where we specialize in rapid prototyping for femtech. So they those consultants work part-time in on our solutions, but then they can also work for other startups or other clients looking to uh, create tech products uh, for women's health. Um, so we basically built a business model where we wanted to have something that's a sustainable profit so we don't have to continuously raise funding. I mean, I don't want this is the, I want this to be our only funding round. Um, 
and where we continuously have money coming in, but we can still build scalable value um, by the portfolio that we create and then let these startups fly into the world and, and hopefully make it a little bit better. So it's basically a, a four-part business. It's, I mean, obviously it's hard for me to explain now. Imagine sitting down with someone and, and trying to get them to give you their money. But luckily, I think we've been quite selective with who we speak to. So they've gotten it quite fast. And um, But we'll, I mean, nothing's said until the money's in the bank account. So we'll see. Okay. And and then some of the conversations, because we talked before that femtechs have uh, difficulty to raise and things like that. And so so what are the, some of the conversations or comments that you have had in your in your journey of fundraising? I mean, for us, we haven't had any of those comments because we're not raising any VC capital at all. Uh, so we've been we've been very selective. So we're not talking to any funds at all. We're talking to to corporate ventures and angels. Uh, and then t- they, I think it's a little bit of another culture, uh, to be honest. So we haven't, and we also only spoken to people that we actually want to co-own Daya with. So we already know their values. So we haven't had that, but looking at the startups that, that we support that have been fundraising, I mean, Jesus Christ, um, there was one startup, and this is not even gender-based, but but uh, she was asked to use a different name because her name was very hard to remember because it was a non-European name. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it's not a stage name. <laughs> like, Her, it's my as name. A person. Yeah. What? When she was pitching, it's like, you should have another name because we can't even say this. And it's like, okay. Um, actually, one startup also was asked to cover up because she was wearing a tank top. And it's like, Yeah, these, I mean... What? It's, yeah, it is. I mean, I've... It's some flesh, come on. <laughs> oh, I mean, this is, and now it's in the end of the discussion. I don't know if I should open this Pandora's <laughs> box, but I mean... I love to open I've Pandora's been, box, so give it to me. Yeah, I mean, I've literally been been um, on a business trip to the European Parliament. I was offered money to sleep with someone. What? Yes. Really? Oh, not even money. He was like, if I pay the bill for the... Because it was like a delegation. So it was... A lot of people were out together. And he was like, if I pay the bill for you, you're just like, do you, how poor do you think I am? And it's like, honestly, yeah, that happened. It was quite early in my career. And I, I remember thinking like, I understand why people leave this field. Because obviously, I mean, this is so brazen. Like, you're not even scared to get caught. If like... you. you I can't even speak about it because it makes me so flustered. Yeah, um, and my just jaw dropped to the floor. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Speechless. I mean, there, uh, there's, I've been smelled. Like that was so weird. I mean, smell. As a, if a woman like in a in a fun way, like, oh, what's your perfume? It's nice. That's that's one thing. But if an older man kind of leans in, is like, oh, that's oh, so now sexy. I do the <laughs> ASMR of smelling in the microphone. Yeah, it's like you smell good. Like, why do you say that in a business meeting? It's so Ooh. weird. Um, so, yeah, and I've only been... And actually, I asked because I'm lucky to have a family member who's in the startup space as well. And I asked him, I was like, you've, you've been 30 years longer than me in this industry. Has someone ever smelled you? <laughs> and he said, no, no, no one's ever smelled me. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's weird being a woman in this world sometimes. Like, there are some stories to tell. Yeah. But but this shouldn't scare you. You should do it anyway. You should definitely do it anyway because I mean, yeah, that's that's a good <laughs> point. I don't want to scare someone away from this journey because I actually like after that after that that comment about about uh, yeah you know paying for 
my body. Um, I actually wanted to leave. Like I was literally cry- crying and I was like, I don't want to spend my my life banging my head on this wall. Like I only have one lifetime. Like why would I spend it in an industry that's going to question me or disvalue me or make me feel like so small? Like I felt so small in that instance. It was quite early on in my career. So I wasn't as, I didn't have as much skin on my nose uh, as I have now. And but then I also, it was actually a coworker of mine who's also an angel. I don't know if I should say his name. I'm going to say his name because he's a perfect ally. Johan um, Schuld, who's an who's a angel. He actually told me, he was he was comforting me uh, at the office because I told him about this. Um, and and uh, he said to me, he was like, well, I mean, you could leave this industry and do something else. It's going to like make you happier. But it's like these type of him and those type of men are going to stay in this exactly. industry. And exactly. That was terrifying for me. I was like, if all women who are like me are leaving, like they're, they're bullying us out of this industry. And I know, and you know how important entrepreneurship and tech is for, I mean, it's not, it doesn't stay within the company walls. It impacts everyone's life. Like a new innovation, it's not going to impact just that company. And it's like, we can't get away from the internet. We never voted about that. Like all these things, all these kind of big societal changes are being driven by talented engineers or talented entrepreneurs. And the thought of kind of that metaphorical room being filled with just people like that man, with all the people like me having left, being like, yeah, screw this. That's terrifying. So, I mean, I want to, I don't want to terrify everyone listening, but I want them to kind of feel that sense of, you are very needed uh, in this space and you can actually, I mean, you can create uh, your own community. Like I've never, in the last kind of three years, I've never felt belittled or kind of um, anything like that. I haven't experienced any sexism, I would say. I mean, I probably have, but I haven't noticed it in a sense because I've surrounded myself with my own metaphorical table um, so there is a way of being really comfortable and happy. You shouldn't stick around in a like with a asshole boss or something just because you're important to this industry. Find other companies and other places to to do the same important work. Exactly. And I just want to add to that. I mean, I studied law and and have worked ten years in the insurance industry, like finance industry. I mean, you have those type of men there as well. So I have experienced sim- not the same, but similar like sexist. Um, comments and approaches when when I was younger in my in, in in the insurance industry as well. So, like you live in tech is not a solution. They're thinking I'm going to go and do banking or I'm going to. I mean, it's, it's the terrible same. everywhere. It's just, no, but this I is mean, the bad place. Yeah, no, no, but I mean, it, it's it's um, you have that type of person like everywhere or that type of men everywhere because they are privileged and they think that they are entitled. Uh, they can treat people like shit or like that, and especially young women, uh, because they are assholes, and you have assholes everywhere. So you living tech is not a solution. That's just the validation that you are needed here. And exactly what you're saying, that's that's one of the, the drivers why I uh, chose to transition into tech, because I, I think that like tech and entrepreneurship is the most important industry to be in and to drive change because here you can really make an impact in the world. And and you as a minority or, or as a woman or a, a person of, of a different background and experience, you are extra needed because you know your community, you know, uh, you see other like um, 
opportunities in the market. You, you, you can come up and create different kind of products that are needed. Uh, so, so your voice is, is needed in this tech space even more. So just recognize that assholes are everywhere. And I, like you said, you shouldn't tolerate them. If you are uh, at a, in a company where there is a very toxic or corporate culture, you should change. Like you should go somewhere else. Yeah, let uh, me like reach out to me. And I, I know uh, plenty of very excellent tech companies that have excellence um, uh, in treatment of women. Yes, exactly. So f- reach out and and find another place for you to be yourself and and feel comfortable and safe uh, to to speak up and and bring your ideas and bring your talents to the table because your talents are needed. Oh wow. Oh wow. <laughs> Time flies, Molly. And I have like thousand more questions <laughs> to you. Ah, uh, okay. Is there anything else that you would like to highlight here before we we close up the discussion? I would like to highlight that we need to understand how, just also from a business perspective, we need to understand how important and interesting femtech is. I mean, we're always talking about these crowded markets. And I mean, there's no market that's as uncrowded as the femtech space. That's one of the reasons, like when I had my Eureka moment, I was like, This is the like 18th deck I've gotten just this month on a digital uh, bookkeeping system. We have no solutions for preeclampsia. We're, we're like there, there's of these like very we're pushing the needle so very little in some industries. They're already like overly not overly innovative. You can't be overly, but, but it's already there's good solutions to kind of say to fix the problems, and we're just making them a little bit better, a little bit better, and then we're satisfied with that. When we have this whole market that is like fundamentally important, democratically important, and we're not focusing on it. There's so much low-hanging fruit. So for investors as well, I mean, just looking at the startups coming up in the femtech space, they are truly the first at doing what they do. They're not like doing something that someone's already done, but a little bit better. They're they're the first one. And that means, yes, it's it's riskier in a sense that there are no no patterns to look at and you don't really know how that market is going to behave. But it's less risky because the market risk is like none. It's just wide for the taking. Um, so yeah, I think that's a, that's a, I want to leave people with wanting to invest in, in femtech. And I want women to feel like if they are having a problem, that they understand the problem and they think they have a solution or they have like an embryo of an idea of a solution to please reach out. Even if you don't have the tech solution, just find the right person to talk to. I I always take first meetings with any female founder. Um, That's my policy. I'm going to keep that until I like diet of exhaustion or something. <laughs> um, but reach out because it's uh, it's not as hard as you think it is. No. And you also can reach out even if you don't have an idea, but you would like to get into the femtech space, right? Oh, because yeah. you are looking constantly for entrepreneurs that are passionate about this. So you don't even have to have uh, that idea. You can just reach out to you and you can find a fit. Yeah, definitely. You can reach out if you have a, a problem you want to focus on, if you have an idea, or if you don't have any of that. I mean, 
the we source founders for the startups we create, and they are given the mass like vast majority of ownership in the that startup. So you get basically a prototype, a website, a logo, everything, and you get two co-founders, and you get the majority of the shares in the company, and then you can just run with it. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty good deal. Um, so yeah, anyone who's interested in starting a femtech startup, uh, holla at me. Yay! <laughs> and uh, uh, I, yeah, I know that you are a, a new mother. You just uh, had a baby. Um, so, how do you see your role as an entrepreneur and a mother? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question. Um, and I think, I mean, being becoming a mother of a daughter is a huge. I mean, I, whenever when when investors look at a company, one of your kind of main fears is that the founders are just going to stop doing it. They're not going to be tenacious enough to stick with it. That's like a huge risk early stage, maybe the the biggest risk. I just want to, if there's any investors looking at us, I just want to show them a picture of my daughter because that's the reason that I'm never going to stop doing like 13 hours work days, which sounds, which sounds like a double standard because of course I could spend more time with her. I mean, I think that is kind of the, the, the hard point about being an entrepreneur because you are wanting to change the world for this person, but you're doing it by being away from this person. Um, So I think I've thought about this so much and I just hope that at the end of the day, I mean, when, when my time comes and she like looks over at my life and my life with her, that she feels that the the good I did for her situation and for other women in her situation outweighs the the damage I did by not being around. I mean, obviously now I'm in Stockholm. I was in Palo Alto last week. I have a little six month old at home. I could definitely, being an entrepreneur is hard because it's time consuming and it's hard when you have a, a kid. Um, but I think at some point we have to weigh and think that I'm doing this for her and for all the daughters like her. And hopefully she feels that that outweighs what I gave up for that. And yeah. I have to forgive myself for what I gave up for that. And that's a continuous process of forgiving yourself as a mother. But uh, yeah, it is, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You are away a lot from your kid when you're an entrepreneur. I mean, you can still, I try to bring her around as much as possible, but but you need to, uh, it's, it's a fact. It's There's a lot more, safe and more comfortable routes in life than running your own business. Um, But I hope that she will understand why I did it. And I would like to add to that. I mean, when like you are pitching to get investment and then like that you started, like um, investors are afraid that you're going to quit and like be away. I mean, yes, maybe you're going to be away for some time, like uh, six months or a couple of months, but you're not going to be away like full time. You're... Like your startup is also your baby uh, and you can't just like switch that off. And like, I, I would really like to enforce that. Like your why is even stronger when you have kids yeah. because they become your why. You want to change the world for them, for them to have a better world and for them to 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 have a different world when they grow up. And yes, you are away, but I would also add like it's more about quality time than quantity time. And they have also a second parent. Yeah, they have. I, I like that. I think that's one of the biggest decisions you can make as a woman is choosing who you have kids with. Yes. And I mean, I, I wasn't actually away for six months. We we started from the start, like 
day one we did every other day. So so he's home in one day and I'm home the next day. But when I was pregnant, a lot of people would be like, oh, you're going away soon and you're disappearing soon. That's the frame they used. You're disappearing soon. I was like, where am I disappearing to? Like, it's it was such a weird how people spoke about it and they never said that to my husband. So we kind of assumed that women are going to be away for an extended period of time. And you don't have to do that. I mean, you, you can't do... 50-50 from the start. Um, that's what we did. And I think choosing a great co-parent. And I think, I mean, the the one that got a raw end of the deal is definitely my husband. Like he had a buzz. Like he, you know, marrying an entrepreneur, you have someone who's never home. So you have to do the majority of the housework and kind of the unpaid labor. And then who's always broke. Because if you make any money, you put it into the business or you put it into other startups as an investor. So it's like... He both has to be the financial provider and kind of the caregiver. So I was like, damn, like you you got a bad deal. But I, I think uh, hopefully, he, I know he thinks it's it's worth it. But uh, all jokes aside, I mean, it's, it's no walk in the park. But I think more women need to be able to talk about it because... I think it's it's fine that we feel a little bit guilty. I think it's fine. I mean, a lot of things in life is about forgiving yourself. And and I'm continuously trying to forgive myself for being away from my daughter because it's she's so cute. So you just want to cuddle with her all the time. But but I mean, you have to be your true self. Yeah. I mean, I have also been thinking about this. Yes, I can take an easy job, like something... Yeah, very easy. I'll go home, shut down my computer at five, come home and like spend the whole weekends, the whole evenings. But then I wouldn't be happy. And then I wouldn't be the best mother I can be. So, I mean, it's a balance. You need, uh, I mean, there is no balance, but you ha- have to find a mix because it's it's your life and you have to be stimulated and, and driven to, to create your things as well and live your life as well at the same time as you are taking care and, and fostering this new amazing human so so i would like to everyone i would say hire mothers because they are fucking awesome they are multitasker they're super effective with their time i mean they they will work hard because they know what they are working for uh so yeah couldn't agree more i think we uh, daya actually means mother um we we realized that all of us founders we're mothers and we're mothers to daughters and that's a huge reason why we care about this and we care about all the daughters like we care about that that the next generation of women will actually have access to good health care and are not going to be overlooked uh, and they're not going to take seven years to get an endometriosis diagnosis and it's not going to be 50% more likely to have an incorrect diagnosis after a heart attack and they're not going to have like 30% more likelihood than men to have a medical error in their treatment like that's devastating statistics and we want to change them for like that purpose which means that when the going gets tough we're not going to stop we're not in it for for any like quick fix or financial gain. And I think that's the most safe investment you can make is in someone who's never going to abandon this mission. They're just going to adapt in different ways of trying to solve the problem, but they're never going to walk away because this is kind of the thing that you can't walk away from it. Like, how would I look my daughter in my in her eyes and say, it was too rough, so I gave up on trying to make your life better, or like the society better and more welcoming and more easy for you to be you in society. Um, I, I could never do that. So, I mean, we're, I'm in it for the long run. Mm, 100%. 
Amazing. Um, yeah, in the end of uh, my uh, interviews, I always ask about your best advice. And since you have experience of working with a lot of uh, female entrepreneurs and, and that are fundraising for their femtechs, so what would be your best advice for femtechs, uh, for fundraising advice for femtechs? Yeah. I would say that there are actually a lot of emerging funds coming up that's focused solely on femtech. And I think that's actually smart because it is a is a new industry. And I think it's my, my biggest advice would actually be to connect with other femtech founders and share with each other because this, as you say, like this is such an uncarded market that no one's a competitor, basically, because there's no solution where you can only have one solution. You need at least three like good companies doing the same thing. And we're way like, that's a long time coming. So I think really utilized opportunity of being in an industry that's being born with, as you're partaking in it by really collaborating and connecting with everyone within FemTech. I think that's like, you have a unique experience of you're all in this together in a sense that, you're not competing with each other because it's wide open planes basically in this industry. So connect with other founders, share, be generous. If you're, if you yourself have fundraised to share your, your warm leads, because I know the, the funds are coming up now. They're focused only on femtech. They are actively scouting because it is such a new field. So they're going to have a hard time deploying their capital because it's not that many companies to deploy into. So really like promote each other and and yeah create these kind of our own feedback loops i'd say and i think that's happening a lot but you can never say too too much yeah that's great advice and are there other tech hustlers that you would like me to interview oh so many so many um i mean i would love for you i mean i have a co-founder jenny and i think she's so funny so i would love for you to to uh interview her i would love to hear her in a podcast format because she's uh i don't know she's um uh she has two twins i don't know how to say that in english two twins yeah like she's twins and twins no it's like she has two siblings like how do you say when you're three that it's born at the same time ah triplets oh yeah they're triplets um so she has such a i realized because she has a funny way of talking where she's like way ahead of you in her mind and then just jumps into something and you're like hey where are we in the conversation right now and i realized because she's the third triplet so she's used to someone else doing kind of the first talking and then she jumps in with the conclusions and i would love i mean maybe that would be a terrible podcast format but i would love to hear that because it's her mind is just a beautiful butterfly that i would like to dive into but i mean all the founders in our accelerator obviously Do some name dropping uh tilda lundgren of convoy i think uh she's she's so educational in her field like and she's an amazing mathematician and she's really going to help a lot of women in the elderly care sector. Um, and then, hmm, oh, uh, Siliane, um, she's the founder of Agopriene. Uh, she's created her own like um, foam that is uh, it's used for furnitures now, but it's completely plastic-free from seaweed fibers. And it was like one of these things that IKEA tried to do for a long time, but really didn't solve it that they were not using seaweed she sold it uh she has this material already out and working and i mean she has an amazing i invested in her because i heard her pitch because her pitch was all about she wants to one day own a factory and i've never heard that as a dream i think it's really funny with entrepreneurs and their dreams and she's also super smart and funny she's norwegian but 
you know, you talk English anyway. So, yeah, I think, I mean, I can I can say so many. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. But thank you so much, uh, Marling, for taking the time and sharing your valuable knowledge and inspire, inspiration as well. And thank you for driving Daya and like being a strong voice in the femtech sector. Yeah, this was so much fun. Uh, I'm sorry for swearing. I, I was like, I have no idea if <laughs> that's allowed. It's okay to swear in my podcast. Okay, good, good. I set the standard now. Now everyone's going to come in with the fuck yous. <laughs> I love when you express feelings and strong feelings are very, very good and interesting, I think. So, so they're welcome here. Nice. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. What did you think about today's episode? Let me know on LinkedIn and Instagram at TechHustler. This podcast is a passion project of mine. So if it speaks to you, it would mean a lot to me if you would give it a nice review and share it with your friends. See you next week. And until then, hustle smarter, not harder.